Blog Talk Radio. From the Windy City to your city, courtside, the matchup you've been waiting for. A field of dreams for some and a long ride home for others. Sounding so good through the air, it's like you're right there. Folks, you want to score? People, she's got your game. It's the Maya Kai Show, featuring comedian Nikki Braden. She is pretty funny with your host, Maya Kai. Radio never looks so good. Featuring comedian Nikki Braden, and our sole purpose is to help you to get that morning to the midday. With that being said, how the show is going to unfold today. We always get off the show with what's trending in that first hour, because we're on with you until 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. And then we'll wrap up the first hour with Point of View, go to that second hour, 1 o'clock hour, with Here's the Thing, the Fringe, and the Wind Down. And then... Everything is complete. So if you want to join the conversation, you can, 310-807-5211. If you want to get social with the show, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter, at The Maya Kai Show. Nikki, how can they connect with you? I am Nikki Braden on Facebook and Twitter, The Nikki Braden on Instagram, and the chat room is wide open. Happy Monday, everybody. All right, so here we go. You know how you can get involved in the show and all that good stuff. All right, consistency continues for 2016. We are officially into the zodiac sign Pisces, which goes from February 19th through March 20th. So what's in store for Pisces today? Do not be afraid of confusion. Sometimes it offers you an opportunity to earn an amazing education. So if clarity dissolves today, just keep your cool. Getting a handle on an odd situation is not always about getting control over it, especially if your head is spinning. Let the situation unfold around you and just soak it up. Be observant and quiet until you have an idea or something helpful to say. Do not complain or whine. That's going to take you down the wrong path. There you go. All right. That's a good, that's sound advice for a Monday. Good stuff. Yeah. You can always go with that. All right. Let's jump into what's trending. You know, I always say Mondays, granted, things happen, but Monday is kind of like that slow day with news because you're really recounting. Yeah probably would happen like Friday and through the weekend when you get to Monday. And actually, because it was at least nice weather here in Chicago, you know, it didn't seem like too much unfolded. Now, we do know. I haven't paid a lot of attention, Nikki, to what's really going on with the, you know, the 2016, you know, presidential candidates race. We hear a whole lot about, obviously, Donald Trump. I think Mm -hmm. now, because we're getting closer to where you're going to know who's going to be representing each party to run for president, we hear more about Hillary Clinton and, obviously, Bernie, Bernie Sanders. So, yeah. interesting enough, you've got, you know, Trump, by now, everybody thought would have fallen off. But that's not the thing that has really baffled me in the GOP race. It's the fact that Jeb Bush, who is obviously part of the Bush family, meaning obviously right. his father and his brother have both been president, was expected to be the Republican candidate that was going to rise to the top, that everyone anticipated that's who was going to be running for president. And mm-hmm. now we are... Bush is suspending his campaign, which means the most viable person in their campaign, Nikki, has now pulled out. That's crazy. My Okay, that's crazy. I was counting on him to keep Trump out of the race. But if he's going to drop it, they don't have it. Who else do they have? Donald no, Trump is going to run for president. Okay. This is getting scary. I honestly thought by now that 
Trump would have been toppled. I really thought by now yes. the whole anti-establishment mentality that people would have come to their senses and moved on. First of all, he's a man who knows nothing really about politics. He's a businessman. Correct. And even though I think Correct. that's always good to have a balance, many years ago we didn't feel that Ross Perot was appropriate because he was only a businessman. And so how right. quickly we shifted our gears to people being open to Donald Trump. So I really thought by now he wouldn't be there. So who's still in that cluster for the GOP would be Trump, Cruz, and Rubio. And let me just mm-hmm. tell you, of the three people I just named, I would not want any of them to be no. president. Now, mind you, you've got Cruz and Rubio, you're talking about a Hispanic contingency, but to me they're not a reflection of what the Latino vote is, from my opinion. From my opinion, right. they're not. Now, I'm not Latino enough to say that, but I'm looking at them saying – I know you belong to a group that are people that are classified as a minority of people of color, but I don't look at you two and really feel your rhetoric is reflective of anybody who would honestly get into the highest post in this country and have your people's mm-hmm. best interest at heart. I just don't look at those two Correct. and feel that way. So here it is in the thick of it all, Jeb Bush suspends his campaign. And if you're part of the GOP, I mean, what, what are you saying? I mean, I, I don't know. This I didn't anticipate – I know he didn't have good momentum, but I also didn't anticipate that he would pull out of the race. I really didn't. Yeah, this, he, me, he just quit. This was shocking and surprising to me, too, especially because he comes from the Bush family. I thought that he would at least see it through. And this is shocking to me that he just pulled out of the race. Wow, what is the GOP going to do? I don't know. And, you know, coming into this race, I mean, Bush, people herald him for what he's done in the state of Florida, you know, for better mm-hmm. or worse. They felt that he – was good for the state, hence, you know, that next step up would be the presidency, which everyone felt like he was in line for, probably to do something that a family has never done, have three people be president of a country right. which is, without it being a monarchy. That's almost unheard of. So when I heard that right. he suspended his campaign, I thought, okay, I thought Donald Trump was going to go away. But here he yes. is, still with crazy momentum, and it made me step back and wonder. With all the things he, have sa- he has said, first of all, I feel that Donald Trump's message is very inconsistent. And I'll be curious what people think about this, because I think at first we found him entertaining. Okay, he, but yeah. now he's beyond biting at your heels, and he's like in your face when you get Jeb Bush right. to suspend his candidacy. What's your thoughts on this, 310-807-5211? I mean, do you feel that Donald Trump won't, won't make the cut? But at this point, Nikki, I, I think we have to seriously consider – that he might actually be the Republican nomination. Yes. I don't know that Cruz and Rubio have enough behind them to push him out the way. And that's crazy because Donald Trump has no political experience. He's filed bankruptcy numerous, numerous times. Right. And he's all. also told that no just tells you the state of our country. About. This is really getting – this is getting yeah, sad. Like, like this is the state of, of our country. Yes. He, he hasn't really discussed any real policy about what he would do. Everything no. with him is anti-establishment, like – you know, talking about being stronger about immigration, which I don't think anybody has an argument with that, or how he would deal with terrorist contingencies. And his response when people say, well, what would you do in the world on ter- terrorism? His response is, I can't share that because you don't need to know that until it's time for it to happen. So we have no idea what his Correct. policy even looks like. So if you know nothing about a person's policy, how the heck can they still be in the running? Well, we know nothing about him. It's got to be this is entertaining, and he's in in your face, and he says things that everybody wants to say but are afraid to. And I think that people are really 
um, getting behind him because they're so polarized by he'll he'll just say anything and he's not politically correct and he's not afraid to speak his mind and people are buying into that. But you're right, he doesn't have any policy. It takes more than that to run a country. You just can't have a big mouth and run a country. You have to actually know what you're doing and have some kind of policy and some issues and forms and everything in place. And he just doesn't seem to have that. People have to put in perspective. Like if you happen to be listening and you're from Illinois. People decide sometimes to go on a limb to try something new. Like, we've been doing the same thing all the time and getting the same results. That's what people say insanity is. Well, for what it's worth, President Obama, his legacy, when people step back and look at what he accomplished, you're going to have to give him credit for picking up the country in its worst possible state and having to work through and change things when you often had a Congress. Only within his first beginning of his term did President Obama actually have a Congress that could work to his advantage. After that, it's been nothing but an uphill battle for him. So when your Congress is not on the same side as you are, it's hard to pass legislation. It's complicated trying to get things done because they're against you, Mm -hmm. which tells you right there nobody has the best interest of the people in mind whatsoever. Politicians are so off sneaky doing what they want to do, they could care less about the average everyday person. And we see that message repeatedly, how they want to have stalemates over things are important. So if you're sitting in the state of Illinois, so Pat Quinn was running for re-election, really had a lackluster kind of overall governor, you know, gubernatorship when he was in Illinois, and here comes Ronner, who's very much like Donald Trump, no political mm-hmm. experience, but he's a millionaire and he's a businessman. And somehow this man gets people to get behind him, including the black vote and other people, and he gets into office. And where are we at right, right now in Illinois? We don't have a oh, budget. Gosh. You have a lot of secondary institutions need money, and he vetoed the MAP grant, which means that money is not flowing to those state universities that need it. So you're Westerns. We hear a lot about Chicago State. These schools are in mm-hmm. dire straits, specifically if you're like Chicago States and Governor States and Eastern. Western will probably right. be able to survive, but they've already cut some of their athletic programming as well as let about 35 of their faculty go. So they're already bracing for the outcome of he's not going to pass this. But other schools don't have the kind of access to grants and, let's say, alumni donorship to float it the same way. So if you look at what a a politician, a non-politician has done in the role of governor, he wants to clean up the state, and he's willing to cut everybody off the knees to do it. Now, the question is, is that a good thing? So if you're looking at Ronner, who has no political base, what do you think Donald Trump would do if he could possibly run this country? Right. Right. I just, I am baffled. And I have people who actually support him, and I'm like, how can you possibly, and, and they happen to be people of color. And I said, that makes no the, sense to me. Forget the fact that we know he comes from a family where they were involved in the Klan, you know, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. I don't understand how you could possibly stand behind that person like that, knowing, and he's made comments very derogatory towards yes, people yes. of color. I was like, even yes. if you're not in that that grouping of, of people of color that, let's say you're wealthy. Okay, I understand you're wealthy, but how could you possibly vote for somebody who you know has the full intention of not doing anything for people who already don't have anything? Right. I, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm very baffled at everything that's been unfolding. I'm just, I don't know what to say. I just didn't think. I don't either. Kind of longevity. I, he's clearly I mean, going to run. for pre- The Democrats have got to take this home. There is no way Donald Trump can be our president of the United States and the rest of the world does not die from laughing so hard. I mean, this would absolutely be a circus, and it would just be so embarrassing. There is no way. So the Democrats have got to come away with this. Even if he does get the nomination, he cannot win. He cannot I'm, run I'm this country. Either, and I mean this, and I will hold fast on this. If Donald Trump becomes the president of the United States of America, 
<laughs> I am petitioning for citizenship <laughs> to Canada, and I mean that. Canada, Canada no is like I'm not. Canada is like no, I'm not having. I'm it. not staying here. No, no, no. Because if if you think it's bad now, and you let this, if you let this man into office, and he happens to have a Republican Congress, oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But what's interesting enough is a lot of Republicans don't care for Donald Trump. So we'll see. Good. If if that was to happen, I can't believe I'm even talking in terms like he could possibly win. That you is run ridiculous. Yeah. I got to keep it honest because if he's come this far, mm-hmm. if he's come this far, and their best candidate drops out, right? I don't know what to say right. at that point. I, I don't know what people. What do people see in him that I can't see? I just I don't I don't I think it's just the hype and everything around him it has absolutely nothing to do with his political agenda or policies or anything cuz he doesn't have any. It's just the circus that he is. It's a reality TV circus and that's and I'm like but you can't this is what I don't understand my I'm like you have to separate that from running that's different. That persona is different from running a country. This is a real job, but people don't seem to be able to separate that. So here we are. Talk about getting into those posts of influence and power. So we know that Chief Justice Scalia passed away, and yes. they'll have to replace him. Um, Day, Chief Justice Day came out and said, absolutely not, the GOP, sit down. We need to get a person in here. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting, and I didn't know this, is that Scalia and, ironically enough, Clarence Thomas, were really close in regards to all the justices there. I guess people felt like they were really kind of like, they said that Clarence Thomas was Scalia's silent partner. But what's Hmm. interesting about this, and I'm not, I think I lost any kind of faith in Clarence Thomas when the whole Anita Taylor situation happened. Not that I feel like everything you do has to be totally about the group of people that you come from, but I've always felt that Clarence Thomas really didn't care about people of color. No, I he didn't. that way about him. No. It was something no, about his body language and his rhetoric. I was like, there's a black face on the Supreme Court, but he has no interest for black people whatsoever. And it's mm-hmm. interesting. In saying that, it's coming out that he's set a milestone that blows my mind, Nikki. And 10 years, and 10 years, Clarence Thomas, who is supposed to be, you know, a voice of justice and having something to say, they're saying for the for 10 years, He's never in any type of situation where a case like, let's say, it was whether it's affirmative action or things of that nature have come in front of the Supreme Court to be heard. He yeah. has never offered up any form of a question when these hmm. cases have come. He never, he never has an oral argument that the justices present really? during these cases. Ask yourself this question for 10 years. How do you sit on the highest court in the land and some of the most pressing issues, at least within our time, hmm. Everything from immigration to affirmative action to conversations about the LBGT, equal rights. How is it that you've never had a question for oral arguments when these cases come before you, especially with affirmative action? How is right. that? I, I don't I know. Tell you, I read that. I was like, you mean this man has sat there for 10 years and never and asked say anything? Questions? Why is he there? Wow. That should be part of your job. I don't know. You must have questions for oral arguments. I mean, really. When I, I heard I that, agree. I was kind of, I felt insulted. Like, then why do we bother to put him in that post if he's not going to actively engage in the process? Whether I agree with what he says or not, right? why are you there? What is your point? To me, you're holding up a seat. Why don't you just retire if you have no, no interest of being involved in the process? 
But I was going to say, I guess when you have a job that pretty much you have to die to not work there anymore, you can, I guess, not say anything for 10 years. Like, what are you, what are you going to do? Like, you but can. See, this is why I now feel just like every, I think that there comes a point of time, especially in elected positions, I think there should be a cap on how long you can serve. Just like with the president, you can only do two terms. And I think that's a great right. idea. I think, for instance, in the city of Chicago, the Daly family had run the city for I don't oh, know how many forever. years between father and son. I know they had more than mm-hmm. a 30-year grip on the city for how long they yeah. ruled. And I think that kind of thing leads to policy that becomes laxed, policy that becomes corrupt. And I think it helps to run a city into the ground when you don't have fresh ideas and new people flowing through the system besides an alderman. And if, if, if the main guy in charge is there forever and you're an alderman, whatever the case may be, you know what? You're ultimately probably just a yes man when it's all said and done. We've seen that right. in Chicago, how that worked out. So yes. I think oh, almost absolutely. every elected you know, official should have a time frame. It should be like no more than, let's say, 10 years. And then I think fresh people should have to come into that role. Yeah. But yeah, especially yeah for yeah for the Supreme Court and then you know they're old and cantankerous. I'm like you you can't vote with a fresh set of eyes on issues. You I mean they should change them out, but unfortunately they don't. And that's probably why Clarence Thomas just sit there like a bump on yeah, a log and doesn't say anything. Needs, yeah, that needs to be reviewed because you're right. They get old. They get cantankerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we even know yeah. if they if they're all there? I mean, I look right. at some of those people and I'm <laughs> right. like, are they present? How do we know they don't have Alzheimer's or dementia or something? I mean, not to be funny, but that comes with that comes with age. And I think not that I'm trying to be age discriminatory because I'm not, but at the same time, you are now speaking to topics that let's just say within your generation, if you are a baby boomer, whatever the case may be, you may not agree with the current stance or a lot of right. the things that are going on in this country because it just doesn't align with your moral values. And we all know, right. regardless if people want to acknowledge if, you know, justices take their moral compass and use it, of course they do. They're not supposed to, but you know that they do. I was like, so how mm-hmm. can we expect them to have a fresh set of eyes or to even be open-minded? We would hope they could be, but we need to reevaluate if you dying at that post is a good idea. I'm, sure. I'm, I'm very much against it, very much against that. I don't know. We 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 sit at a, I agree. We we sit at a, at a, a point where a lot of things, and I know the Constitution puts things in place, but I think we need to review our stance on a lot of things so we can try to keep things fresh and new and fair. Is it key thing? Yeah. We're to sit there for ten years, a decade, and never throw his hat into the conversation of some of the biggest and probably most polarizing issues we have seen in this country. Yes. I don't understand what your purpose is at this point. I, I don't. I really don't. He doesn't serve one. He doesn't exactly. serve. I, I never thought he was interested in the plight of black people anyway, like ever. So I can, it doesn't shock me. I just can't believe he hasn't said anything like for 10 years, but it really doesn't shock me that he doesn't get involved in issues like affirmative action and everything because he doesn't care. Uh, you know, he he just really doesn't care about the overall um, plight of black people, and that's or just people, how he people is. in general, immigrants, nobody. I mean, I was like, yeah. when I read that, I mean, and I'm like, first of all, why did it take all this time for somebody to mention that this man hasn't said anything? Really? <laughs> I just, I'm like, how did that get swept under the carpet? Like, Chief Justice Clarence Thomas hasn't said a word in 10 years. Really? Wow. wow. Interesting. All right, you're tuned in to the Maya Kai Show Unplugged, featuring 
Media, Nikki Brayton. We're trying to help you kick your morning up to the midday. We talk a little politics, yes. something we don't do too much of, and I think we'll be talking a bit more because once we probably get the presidential nominations from each party, there'll probably be something to deconstruct on this because if Donald Trump wins it, I'm going to have a whole lot to say. Oh, God. So that will just blow my mind. But we're going to keep talking those hot topics and headlines that are out there, so sit tight. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back.
All right, welcome back. Hi, guys, we're unplugged featuring Tina and Braden. We're on with you until 2 p.m. And we're in the What's Trending portion of the show where we talk those headlines and hot topics everyone's talking about, maybe from over the weekend, but they may have a local, national, international focus every now and then. All right, so the story for me, Nikki, that was trending everywhere was about initially this man in Kalamazoo who went on a shooting spree. Mm-hmm. Um, now, according to what we know about him, Jason Dalton, is that he had no criminal history, um, so pretty much a clean slate, not like you're talking about somebody who, you know, went on a shooting spree but was known to kind of be, you know, running a fall of the law. So part of the story that really captivated everybody was the fact that, according to what we know so far from the Kalamazoo County Sheriff's Department, is that he's a guy who didn't have a background. So then it okay. really turned into wow, now we've got people, you know, deceased because of his actions. But what's interesting, he's an Uber driver. And I said, you know, Uber already gets under scrutiny. Whether it's passengers acting out um, or people who are either, you know, falsely identifying as Uber drivers, even though what they're doing people shouldn't get in the car because they didn't get, you know, call for the app and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So what they're finding about Dalton is that, he actually was driving in between the shootings. He shot five people in a parking lot at a Crackle Barrel restaurant. Okay. Right before that, he had dropped off an Uber passenger and had driven numerous miles. So what's interesting is one of the one of the passengers thought he was kind of erratic and reported his behavior to to the police, only to find out he was involved, obviously in the shooting. In the shooting, he had no idea that this guy was involved in the shooting spree. And these are just random people. He would just shoot people and then pick up a passenger. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's actually a, shank, a sanctioned Uber driver. And FYI, Uber prohibits both passengers and drivers for possessing any kind of gun in the vehicle. So just understand, Uber's not saying, "Hey, it's okay for either anybody to carry a gun." They're not. And, and the thing is, I think. It's unfortunate for them that this spotlight is being shown on them, besides the fact that this absolute atrocity that happened in Kalamazoo is, you know, they do background checks. They don't just hire people. They do background checks. And for Uber, unfortunately, he had no background. Just like in Kalamazoo, the sheriff's department said this man had no previous background. So there was nothing that would have indicated that, you know, they shouldn't have hired him, that, you know, things of that nature. I'm just... But you can never tell or determine when somebody's going to go crazy. Right. Picked up people. You can't can't determine when somebody's just going to lose it and go crazy. That's the problem. Like, he has a clean background. They did what they were supposed to do, the background check and everything. And for some reason, he just lost it one day and decided to pick up people and shoot people in Kalamazoo, Michigan, just for no reason. So his shooting spring raised between apartment complex as well as at the Crockerville parking lot. At this point, I don't know that anything is being released in regards to Dalton's motive. We don't know. Um, all right. we know about him, um, he was a married father of two. And, of course, according to everybody they've talked to, he showed no signs of violence. Wow. See, this is what wow. I'm talking about. This is yeah. just half-cocked. Like, rather, it doesn't matter if he was an Uber driver, drive the bus, people. It's the fact that he had the, yeah. men- he had the mental constitution to kill people Go pick up his ride, his fare, drop him off, right. go shoot somebody else, and take another fare. What does that yeah. tell you about him? I was like, oh my god, he's crazy. And which means, it's you know, crazy. he didn't. He could have turned the weapon on people in the car, and he didn't. Yes, that's why he, I'm yes. Like, 
what is what is the motive behind this? I don't know. I That's mean, what it, I thought. I was like, if he was going to go on a spree, you could pick up. You're right. He could have killed the passengers that he was picking up. It seemed like no, he would take people to their destination and then just shoot people. That's weird. This is just a crazy story. I mean, and, and people are talking crazy. about like you know he was an insurance adjuster. Um, he had a history of like doing you know body work, taught classes. Um, everybody who's speaking about this man only has positive things to say. And they said, wow. you know, at this point, his wife and children are unhurt. So it wasn't like he. If it was a vendetta involved, I mean, we just don't know right. why, you know, he shot outside the apartment building. We don't know that. Um, hmm. I, we don't know his motives at this point. This, this is, is just like, odd. It, just, it makes you not want to leave your house. See? And I'm yeah. Like, but but I, I'm still baffled by his behavior because in between killing people, he drove people around, and that's what I yeah. don't understand. I have a, yeah, that's that's, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, I have a problem to, with that. You know, and of course, once somebody commits a crime, isn't this interesting? Then always they look crazy. Prior to that, he probably didn't look crazy to me. I'm looking at his photo right now, the the image that was provided by the Kalamazoo County Sheriff's Department. Of course, now, in his eyes, he looks angry to me. Yeah. He looks angry in his eyes. Not like a, you know, he has has a haircut. So he's not like this unkept person. You know, he's not homeless. You know what I'm saying? You you, you look for reasons yeah. that someone goes off and left field like that. And overall, I'm looking at him. I'm like, okay, he looks like a person who looks well put together. So he looks angry. But besides that, I'm like, I, I really want him to disclose to everybody, like, why you why you did this, what the motive is behind it. Correct. Correct. I don't know. I don't know but Something. It, this is odd. Wow. <sighs> I mean, and, and here's the thing. It wasn't just Nikki, like, 45 minutes to an hour. It was like four hours later that he committed, like, he, he shot people. So this, these, this, these shootings were spread out over time. I don't know. It's just it's very unsettling. I just, it makes it you know is. It is. It you, I mean, you never know what nut, you know what I mean? And if somebody, I use Uber, I'm like, oh, God, now I have to worry about this layer of nonsense and insanity on top of everything else that's going Wrong. I'm like, ah, oh, thanks. Right. Thanks. I just you don't want gotta be people aware. to take this out of context. You know, we like to focus on things that aren't really part of the conversation. So now, of course, right. Uber is their name is all in the mix, and here it is again. They're in something that's controversial. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like you know, yellow cab is, doesn't keep popping up in bad stuff all the time. Uber just keeps popping <laughs> up in just bad behavior from people, whether it's passengers or drivers. But what I think people need to understand is. Look, this could have been a taxi driver. It doesn't matter. The man had a problem, period, that nobody saw coming. So I don't want people to get fixated on Uber like they tend to do because, obviously, he had no issues with the people who got into his cab or, you know, his car for a ride. But, you know, people are going to start focusing on it's an Uber issue. It's something about Uber. Uber, you know, could do a better job screening, and I say they can't because they did screen, and his background check came back clean. You just don't know anymore. Yeah, I People just have it out for Uber. I think all of folks over at Lyft, they just get really mad, and they they really stoke the fires on this. Anytime Uber is something, it just blows out of proportion. So um, I think they still continue to do well, though. Like, even when things like this happen, they still continue to, to do well and thrive. So maybe it won't affect them as, as much. It probably won't. I mean, like I said, it could have been the same with a taxi driver, you know, a private sure. car service. But you know what's interesting when you see about, when you hear about stuff like this? 
So we hear so much about, in Chicago, the gun violence. And actually, from what I've heard this weekend, it doesn't seem like it, it, it went the direction that I thought it would go. With it being warm weather here, I was, like, concerned that we may have even yeah. more of an escalation of violence. We're talking about within the second month of the year almost being complete that there's been over 100 deaths and over, like, 300-plus shootings. And that's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's already surpassed the numbers that were for 2015. But there was this great right. article that was on Huffington Post that put something in perspective that gun violence, and it didn't even miss in, miss in Chicago per se, it's like gun violence is seriously an issue. It's like, you know, you've got the mass shooting now, which is in Kalamazoo, where six people, you know, were killed, and numerous people, two people were seriously injured. And interesting enough, mm-hmm. that's the 42nd mass shooting in 2016. And I was wow. like, isn't that, I mean, and I was like, okay, they said from a nationwide wow. standpoint, they said that gun violence already, listen to these numbers, and to me this is staggering. There's more than 1,700 gun deaths already and more than 3,300 injuries two months into Mm. the year with gun violence. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It is an issue in this country, and there's unfortunately probably no solution to it, but this is is an issue. It just seems like everybody, this is how you solve a problem. Whatever is wrong with you, you get mad, you get a gun, and you take it out on everybody else, and it just seems to be like that's what people do now. Like that's how you solve a problem. You get a gun, and you go shooting like a crazy person. I don't understand it, but this seems to be the trend, and so it's concerning. It it really is, and this article is interesting because it put a lot of different arguments in perspective about how we're willing to try to find ways to protect individuals. Like now you can buy bulletproof backpacks for your kids to take to school. Um, they even made this reference to there being pink concealed and carry underwear. And I was like, how is there concealed what? and carry underwear? That's a bulky weapon. I'm trying to figure right. out how that works for underwear. I, I'm confused on that one. <laughs> I was like, Unless now you I'm going to go that. Because I was like, right. um, what kind of underwear is that? i got to Google that because I want to see what that looks like. But it was like it saying, ultimately, seem- we don't deal with gun violence itself. And this it even said this crazy number that in 2015, we had record numbers of toddlers that either shot themselves or others oh, man. on a weekly basis. Toddlers. Oh, no. And I was like, but see, oh, that, no. to me, that's that conversation. If a toddler gets a gun, that means there's an irresponsible adult leaving a gun around for a toddler to have access to. And I believe when those kind of situations happen, I think those people need to be prosecuted to the full extent Uh, of the law. I'm serious because you have to take a certain level. See, things like that, I believe, we can have an impact on. You have to make Mm -hmm. gun owners more responsible. And not all of them are irresponsible by any means. But when people leave guns out that kids can have access to and then the kid takes a gun and commits a shooting or whatever, I feel ultimately – we should hold the adult responsible for making that weapon accessible to the child. Seriously. Because you should have a gun safe or other places that guns are supposed to be when they're not in your possession. You're responsible for that weapon 24-7. We can can deal. We can control those types of issues. But when we talk about mass shootings, those are only adults that have access to weapons legally or illegally. That's the part that's hard to fix because Mr. Dalton out of Kalamazoo, everything we're hearing – he seemed like an upstanding citizen, a nice guy. Right. Mm-hmm. How do you fix that? Because it's not about the gun. It's about the person behind the gun. And right. I don't know, Nick, Absolutely. if that's more It's I not, because you can't determine when somebody's going to go nuts or not. You don't know that. Like, somebody, it just seems like something just clicked, and then he just went 
ham, just like uh, no reason, no warning signs, nothing. So you can never determine when somebody's at their tipping point and what they're going to do with erratic behavior. You just That's just not something you can police. So that's why we have issues. It is, and I know people are, are really calling for stauncher, you know, gun laws, but this is why I'm not – Pro, actually, I'm not pro-gun or anti-gun. I personally don't want a gun for myself. I don't feel comfortable with it. But if somebody else feels responsible and comfortable and they're perfectly trained, well, technically, it's your constitutional right. You have a right to have it. I just right. want you to be responsible with it. So I'm not anti or pro because I figured you got people armed that aren't supposed to have them, so why should good citizens not have mm-hmm. the ability to protect themselves? So that's why I'm not right. going to have an issue with it. But at the same time, I don't. You know, we talked about what they do in Japan, how they do random checks and things like yes. that. I don't know. Yes. Our population is so large, Nikki. I don't know how we can honestly put together true gun legislation that will make sense. I just don't know. I don't see what the answer is. I don't know. Is. It's and my hard. thing is, I feel like you start policing the people who are probably going to be the more responsible individuals with the guns. And I'm, mm-hmm. that's why I think I don't, I don't know how we find a justifiable means to deal with this. I just don't understand. Yeah, it's tough. It's a toughie for sure. It's tough, and I'd like to know his motives. I want to know why he decided just what it wasn't. Obviously, he wasn't mad at his family because they're alive. So I, I right. hope he's willing to share what made him decide that he just lost it. I don't know. It's interesting. So that's a story yeah. that has been trending all over the place. It started over the weekend because the shootings I want to say happened on Saturday, and then now we're finding out more about the individual involved in it and finding, you know, about he worked for Uber, and now that's a hot button, people talking about that and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the biggest story. Another story interesting that's trending is after fighting tooth and nail to not have to give any form of testimony, Camille Cosby, Bill Cosby's wife, will finally have to take the stand and, and, and do a oh, really? under oath today. I, you wow. Know, and, and they, a federal judge rejected the last string of motions on Sunday to stop the deposition, which is going to happen in Springville, Massachusetts today. So she's going to have to show up and answer questions related to the allegations against her husband. Let me just say this. When it comes to Camille Cosby, and I'm not in her mind, here's what I think she knows. I think she knows her husband was having extramarital affairs. Obviously, she couldn't be in the dark about that. And whether she agreed with it or disagreed with it, well, she must agree to some extent because she's been with them forever. Right. However they chose to deal with that, maybe they had an open marriage, I don't know. The bottom line is clearly mm-hmm. she knew about the extramarital affairs. So if that's a question, she's going to be like, yes. Right. She probably right. even knew about his illicit drug use. That wouldn't surprise me either. For all we yeah. know, they might have used together at some point, especially back right. in that era. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. you know, we don't – she might have been aware of that too. But do I think that she probably knew that her husband was allegedly sexually assaulting people? How does she have – Knowledge of that, when, when Nikki, most of those situations didn't even happen in the city where they lived. It's often either he was on right. the road or doing something different. So how could she have been privy to that? Do people think that Bill Cosby came home and said, Camille, I, I drugged this woman and took advantage of Correct. her? Is that the conversation they Correct. think happened in their household? So I'm kind of curious. To me, I feel like this is, this is a, an attempt to keep shaming. You know what I mean? Because she's been silent mm. and hasn't said anything. So I just don't know what do you get from Camille Cosby. Nothing except just uh, probably the truth. The way you said he, she was aware of his affairs and she was aware that he used drugs. And to her knowledge, that's the extent of it. She doesn't know anything else, so it's nothing else to get from her. Like, I mean, of course, she's not going to get on the stand and condemn her husband. She's right. not going to get on the stand and condemn her husband. There's no right, way she's going to do she that. She stood by him this this long, and when yes. the initial, the other first came case that came out, what was that like in 2007 or something? 
Um, obviously, mm-hmm. she knows about the allegations. They've had this conversation. So what discovery they feel is going to come from her doing a deposition, I don't know. Unless somebody has got clear-cut evidence that she knew. Besides, And Beverly Johnson, I guess, was somebody who always had to say that she was trying to approach Camille about this. But if I remember correctly, I think that case has been thrown out. So yes. she was the one person who mentioned about that. But other than that, and even Richard Pryor's, his his wife, his ex-wife, yes, yes. alluded to maybe she had a lot of nerve. Oh, she had a lot of nerve. Yeah, she had a lot of nerve too. Um, I felt she felt dirty about her life, and she 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 hated the fact that Camille came across, as she said, she felt she was very condescending and made her feel right. Like, okay, so you were doing menage a trois with Richard Pryor and drugs. Why are you mad at Camille about your behavior? That's why I yeah, said she so, has a lot of nerve because yeah, Richard Pryor was no saint at well, all. I'm curious because um, if the line of questioning is only, did you know about his extramarital affairs? Yes. Did you know he sexually assaulted anybody? No. Did you know about his drug use? Yes. What's the next question? I'm just curious. I, right. I hear three questions coming out, and I hear yes and no mm-hmm. answers. So I'm just trying to figure out mm-hmm. and trying to have her do a deposition what Discover is. I'm sure we'll, we'll hear more about this unfolding as, you know, after today because it's happening today. So I'm sure by mid or end of week – We'll hear we what the discovery know. is supposed to be on this, but I just, yes. I don't, I don't see it. But there's nothing groundbreaking. There's not going to yeah. be anything groundbreaking, so I don't yeah. understand the point of this. But we'll see. But we'll, we will see. All right, that wraps up what's trending. Those headlines and hot topics everyone is talking about. We're going to go ahead and switch over to a new segment after the break. Point of view. Lots of conversations about equal rights for transgenders because you imagine. Mm. The argument goes to the restroom with six-year-olds. How do you take a stand uh, on this? Where do you draw the line in the sand? We'll talk about that after this break, everybody. It's the Maya Kai Show Unplugged featuring comedian Mickey Burton. We'll be right back.
All right, welcome back. My pastor and Pussy Queen, comedian Nikki Brayton. You're welcome to join the conversation. Don't be shy. 310-807-5211. Of course, the chat room's open. And if you want to get social with the show, you can always find me on Facebook and Twitter at the Mayak High Show. Nikki, how can they connect with you? Nikki Brayton on Facebook and Twitter, the Nikki Brayton on Instagram. All right. So as we talked about, probably one of the most polarizing issues on the table, even for the Supreme Court, was the rights of, obviously, hetero, you know, for homosexuals and transgender community and so on and so forth, everything from marriage, mm-hmm. even now to the conversation about what's acceptable in regards to sharing spaces, especially locker rooms at schools and right. workout facilities and just restrooms in general, because there is a push within the transgender community. They feel that if they identify with a particular gender, then that should be the restroom or locker room they should have access to, regardless to how anybody else feels about it. And, I mean, there's been numerous cases that have been rolling out in regards to people choosing to, you know, schools have put some limitations in there saying, not that we want to seem, you know, insensitive, but we also have students here that don't identify that way and don't feel comfortable. And so to try to find some balance to it, They've done things like created spaces specifically for transgender students or individuals to use, only to be told, mm-hmm. no, that's not acceptable because you're still alienating us. Mm-hmm. We refuse to allow us to use the facilities of the gender that we identify with, even though biologically that may not be what we are, and though we may not have even have done the full change, we want to be given access. Okay, so we know what that argument is. and. Yes. You know how I feel about it. I, I'm going to stand on this. You can use a bathroom with me when you no longer have any type of right. male accessories left Appendage. on Appendage. Yes. As long as yes. you have male accessories, I don't want you in the locker room right. with me because right. I need to know you fully committed to that change. I'm not, I don't right. want to look around and be like, oh, especially if I don't realize right. you're transgender. But it then may take a minute and then it might lock in my mind like, oh, this must be a transgender person. But I'll be honest, I don't want to, I don't want to address in front of female strangers or anybody else. Right. Let me just say that. So there's a story that is currently in the Chicago Tribune. It says, my transgender daughter should not have to use the men's restroom. So what that means, it's a little boy who is transgender and identifies with being a girl. But the interesting part to this story is it's a kindergartner and they're six. So the article begins with the lady talking about that my daughter is in kindergarten. Let me read the opener to you. My daughter's in kindergarten. She is six. She loves unicorns and mermaids and soccer. I am concerned about my community forcing her to share the restroom with men. Currently, she uses the girls' restroom, but some Washington state legislators want her in the men's room because she was born with a penis. It feels uncomfortable writing about my child's genitals, but I'm not sure how, to, how else to protect her. And I know i am already lost some readers. People have a lot of assumptions about transgender children and their parents. Maybe radical lesbian feminists conducting gender experiments, etc. But the truth is that I tried to raise my daughter as a boy, complete with blue walls and T-Rex pajamas. I gave, her, I gave her my father's name, took her to church on Sundays. Her siblings had no trouble with the gender assigned them, but it just didn't work for her. So that's some of the, some of the story that's there. Okay. <sighs> well, first, first off, when you're six and you're this young, typically because I – 
not when my son was six and five and, and the age. I took him in the bathroom with me all the time. I wasn't going to let him go in a bathroom with men by himself. So typically at that age, it's really not a big deal. No one has ever, when I've taken my son in the bathroom, no one has ever been like, oh, he's got to get, what is he doing in here? People typically understand you have a young child. You don't want them in a bathroom by themselves at that young age, and so you just take them with you. So I don't know why this is an issue for a six-year-old. Well, I think she this realizes that her child is approaching that age where going into the restroom with mommy is probably not going to be acceptable anymore. Six, almost seven. By the time you get to seven and eight, I would assume you would have let your child, I don't have a child, go into the bathroom and use it and you wait outside the door, right there waiting. Right. I would assume that the, because eventually, I mean, it, but it's a restroom, so it's in, women have stalls. So it's not like right. the privacy thing right. is weird because we have stalls. Right. Whereas men have, right. there may be some stalls in there, but there tends to be the urinals, which maybe have a Urinal, small right. partition for privacy. But I, right. think, but I think her issue is um, she didn't say, and I'm assuming besides the fact that she expressed everything that her child loves, that if he likes unicorns and mermaids and everything, I'm assuming she's also she's already acknowledged daughter, so which means she's probably dressing mm-hmm. in, in in female clothing, which means it's going to be an issue when he then might have to walk into a man's restroom because if laws don't dictate as a transgender that you can use the female's washroom at that point, it would be an issue. I I, I think it's excuse me, I think that it's an issue, but. Look, here's the thing, Maya. I'm I'm with you on this. If you have a penis, that's where you must go. I don't care what you identify with. What you identify with and what you are, what you actually are, are two different things. And this is where it becomes very, very dangerous because we were just talking about this story last week where a guy was just in the locker room and he was all like, and he didn't, he wasn't transgender or anything, but he's like, I can come in here. Because I identify as a woman, so now I'm in here. So now you just have me, and that's where the slope gets slippery. So until you are done with the surgery, if you have to be uncomfortable walking in a male's restroom because you're dressed like a woman, that's your deal. But you can't make all the other women uncomfortable because you're in there with a penis. That's not fair. You understand? That's like that's just not fair. fair. And that's and this is what bothers me about this conversation. I feel like what I'm hearing is. I want to disregard how you feel. Yes. I want to disregard you might be uncomfortable because it's my yes. time and I want this now. So I'm supposed right. to stay in the locker room and go, that's a man because he still has a penis, and I'm supposed right. to be okay with this. I said, um, no, I have an issue with that. And I also have an issue when people get pushback about transgender, you know, bathrooms. Because what they're right. saying is, well, now you're exposing us that we're transgender because if we walk into that restroom, clearly now someone knows I'm identifying different than how I was biologically, how I was born. And I don't want a gender-neutral bathroom. I don't want just random people walking into the bathroom with me. I don't. I want a women's. Look, I embrace who I am. I'm okay with it. I want a female's bathroom, okay? I don't want a gender-neutral bathroom. So I kind of feel like there's a marginalization of people who identify with their gender for the sake of making other people comfortable. No. We need to have a real rhetoric about this and figure out what's the common ground where everybody can feel comfortable. Now, I get some people are probably not going to feel comfortable. We can't please everybody. That's impossible in the world. But we need to find a right. solution that everybody feels like they're being respected and not disrespected to accommodate somebody else. And I get heterosexuals have ruled the world forever. I get it. So it's the my time mentality. But all you're doing is creating animosity. Maybe somebody at school doesn't want the six-year-old girl who was really a boy in the bathroom with their child because all of a sudden right. Johnny's standing up at the toilet and Lillian's going, right. why, why is John, huh? Right. 
It's confusing right. for a child at that age. They don't, and I don't want yeah. no, and we're not going to start teaching our kids about it because it's not a necessity. It's not. That's not what they're supposed to be learning at that point in time. I'm sorry. We got plenty of, uh, no, plenty of I, time. No, I completely to agree. Teach them stuff like yes. That. Yes, I completely uh, agree with you. This is the gender neutral bathroom is the solution. But I hate this is what makes me so angry. It's like nobody's we we get it. But this is a place that you can go and that's kinda like would make everybody happy and it doesn't specifically say that you're being singled out because to, I could use that bathroom if I wanted to. If I went and the women's bathroom had too many people and then the gender or unisex bathroom was open, I could go in there. That doesn't mean I'm transgender. So nobody would look at me and be like, Oh, what are you? Actually, I'm like I'm just a lady just using this bathroom. So any Anybody can hit, use it, so you're not being singled you know out. You hit the nail on the head. Don't even call the other facility you create a transgender bathroom. Don't do it. Right. Just call because right. there are. I've seen unisex bathrooms, and I walk yes. in like, okay, there's nobody yes. over here, and it says unisex. Yeah. I went to the bar yes. once that was unisex. It kind of freaked me out. I didn't like that, but it was the bathrooms were unisex. Like men and women were both mm. in the same bathrooms, and it was really odd. Yes. I'm like, so if you're a woman, if I want to like fix something in my, you know, in my clothing okay, a man might walk out the stall, and that's why I didn't care for yeah. it because a lot of times you may need to adjust something, and you don't have that privacy to do it because you don't know who's going to walk into the bathroom with you. So opposed well, to saying yeah. transgender, just say unisex, which means whoever walks in there, nobody Uni- feels like can- you're going to know that I'm transgender right. if I walk in here because you could do it, I could do it, a man could do it. And it's, it's right. nonetheless nobody cares. But I just, yeah, I've been in one of those unisex bathrooms too where men were walking out and I came out and then Makai Pfeiffer came out, so I was okay with that. Okay. I was, like, I, was like, I was like, oh, I am okay with what's happening okay, in this it. bathroom. If it wasn't right Mackay Pfeiffer walking out, you were going to be like, uh, yeah, no. I was like, I, I am just, okay with I this. Just kind of, the reason the whole transgender, and look, I, I say this all the time, people have a right to live their lives the way that makes them happy. And I'm good Absolutely. with that. If that's, if that's the fulfilling part of your life, if you don't feel like you were given the correct gender at birth, that is not for me to judge. I'm all about right. go out and live. I'm not going to bash you for it. I would not even be somewhere else and let somebody bash you. I'd be like, hey, you need mm-hmm. to kind of stand down on that. I would still defend you because I don't believe in people being rude or disrespectful because you're different. But at the same time, I would like a courtesy of if I don't want to stand right. in a bathroom with a man who is transgender right. and now identifies as a woman, but you still have parts, it's making me uncomfortable. And that doesn't matter right. if you tell me, but I identify, no, but you still have a penis. And right. I'm not comfortable Correct. with this. So I'm supporting Correct. you, but at the same time, let's let's have a little bit of empathy towards the other side, and let's just find some common ground because this push is only going to push other people further away, especially yes. when it comes to their kids. Like high school girls yes. do not want to be in the bathroom with a transgender girl. With boys. Because that's no. the most awkward time of your life. And here it is. Yes. If you feel like, oh, my gosh, um, no, it's not good. You're insecure. No. Stuff is going on. You just don't want mm-hmm. it. And it doesn't mean I dislike you. It just means I'm uncomfortable at 14. That's it. Right. I'm still finding my way. I just. I, I would sick. be angry. I would be angry if my I had a 14-year-old daughter and it was a guy. And I'm like, that's still a guy. I don't care what he identifies with. That is still a guy with a penis. And no girl, you're right, wants to be. The, let some guy see her body like that. You barely want to change in front of your friends, let alone yeah, now some boy. No, like, you don't want to do that. I would be livid. I would be absolutely so livid. We have to find some way to find balance to this. Because I do believe acceptance is important. But to me, when you try to strong arm your agenda, that's not going to make people take right. it. It's going to be like, nope, nope, and no. So we have to find some way to make this work, 
I don't know what it is. I do think right now creating unisex bathrooms is a, a good start. And I do believe here's here's what I think people fail to understand. It's just it was no different than when integration happened. It took a minute for white people to get used to seeing a black person sitting next to them. Seriously. Yeah. And some of them would get up yeah. and move to another part of the restaurant yes. or on the bus yes. because they just didn't like the idea that a black person now had the same rights. So they still acted out. And over time, as people got used with the idea of integration, eventually that faded mm-hmm. away. And I don't understand why transgender people don't get First, this is a new idea we're embracing in our society. And I'm okay with right. it. Let's work our way into it. Let people get used to it, warm up to it, and, and get to know somebody and go, okay, that wasn't, okay. All right, my insecurity, I can kind of let it go. Because part of it is your own prejudice and your insecurity. It is. I own it. I own it. It's part of my prejudice and my insecurity. I'm going to own it and say it and be honest about it. Let's just, once we start learning more about this big change, trust me, Caitlyn Jenner doesn't become the point that makes everybody understand this emotion. No, it doesn't. This is a growing point in our society, and opposed to trying to force feed it, how about we learn to live it together? Is that so hard? Well, no, it's not hard, but typically LBGT community, if I can say this, they – get what they want when they want it. They stop, they pout, and they get what they want when they want it. And this is just a, an example of that. So you, it's like you can't tell us no because then everybody's a bigot and then everybody's prejudiced and then you make everybody feel bad and then this is thing. And so they it, usually whatever they want, they get. You know, They don't play around. They are the only group that they, when they have something to stand up, you and nobody dares to go against them. Nobody really dares to challenge it. Ever. It's just kind of like, okay, let it go. So this is a point of contention because people are pushing back like, okay, now you're taking this too far with the bathroom thing. We have to figure something out. We pretty much give you, you get married and everybody's fine with that. That's great. You don't infringe on anybody else when you marry somebody of another sex. That is nobody else's business. You're no, now not. infringing on my right now. And now that's where the pushback is coming from and they usually don't, they don't get it. They don't you know, get it. Because you have a, a powerful platform and you can pretty much get mm-hmm. what you want. The way you do it is what will alienate people and make people say, you know something, I understand it's all about you, and right now you can have what you want, and you probably feel it's been your time forever, but if you want to foster a healthy relationship, this is not how you do it. But we live in a society where people, everything is me, 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 it's entitlement, everything can be about And if you want to do things right, right, then my example I gave about when integration happened, people just didn't embrace that. They would run the opposite way if they saw black people walking into a bathroom or a Mm -hmm. restaurant. They'd get up and they'd leave. Or they would do things to the black patrons to make them want to leave and not feel welcomed because it was the growing pains of a new situation, a new social dynamic. And this is a new social dynamic. So I'm like, opposed to us making it more uncomfortable, let's find ways to make it comfortable. But yet it seems like nobody, nobody wants to do it. It's now and it's my way, and that's sad that we've gotten to a point that we don't even want to have a good understanding. Instead, we want to force the agenda like, not only are we going to make this bathroom okay, we're also going to teach our kids about it. Okay, now you're going, right. what does is, what is gender identity See, have to do yes. with the education of my child? That's a social conversation. I didn't send my kids right. to be educated about that. I'll take care of that, not you. So we're mm-hmm. crossing a lot of lines to me. I mean, I wish that the influence that the LBGT had, I wish black people had that power base because, boy, we could get Oh, God. If people believe in our they, cause the way that yes. people believe in that cause, yes, be in a whole different role. But it is what it is. <laughs> it is what <laughs> it is. All right. It is not that. <laughs> it is not that, and it's all a matter of perspective. Just some, something to kind of chew on about mm-hmm. finding some common ground and letting this new ex- 
experience in our society unfold in a way that can that everybody can warm up to it. it it's change, and change is hard, but forcing it, Nikki, isn't the answer. All right, the first hour, wow, in the books, over. We're going to take a quick break and come back and talk about the friends, some of those conversations out there that people are talking about. Let me put this one out there. D. Ray McKesson. Okay. Apparently, I think, has lost his focus, or either that or Donald Trump is making people believe that anybody can be a politician. Because, as you know, D. Ray McKesson is putting his hat in the mayoral race in Baltimore. And my question is, right. what makes you qualified to be you mayor of a city that I've... clearly is in turmoil? Me. We'll talk about that yes. after the break, everybody. Yes. Yes. Maya Kaiser, our plug, Eastern and Nikki Brady. featuring comedian Nikki Brayton. Don't be shy. Join the conversation. We're in the fringe segment of the show. We talk about some stories that are trending, maybe just not in your timeline, but we think they're worthy to talk about. You want to weigh your thoughts in 310-807-5211. Chat room's open, and you know where to find us on social media. Okay. Nikki, I have really gone tired of everybody believing they can throw their hat in the arena to be a politician. Now, granted, a lot of politicians yeah. have left things to be desired, and I, I currently feel we're having a movement in this country that people are opening their minds up to possible new opportunities or people that maybe before in the past they wouldn't have voted for. I think the mindset is, you know what, what do you have to lose? But sometimes right. I think you have a lot to lose. If your city is in dire straits like Baltimore is, Baltimore has had a mass exit of citizens. They have lots of vacant homes, very much like Detroit. Their economy's not in a good place. To me, 
the last place you'd want to put a person who has no real political experience, who can be a change agent to me in regards to not just political or social policy, but really about getting your city back on track. And Baltimore is a major right. city. You don't go yes. for someone whose their, their resume, the top thing on there is, was involved in Black Lives Matter. In fact, Black I don't Matter, know if right. that's the person that you want in there in the first place. So I'm kind of confused no. what D. Ray McKesson thinks he brings to the table for Baltimore. I'm just curious. Am I, just I, being, I am I being that, negative? No, you're not. I think that I, there seems to be this shift, Maya, all of a sudden that anybody can run for anything. I mean, you're not even close. You have no background in the political arena. You've done you've been the spokesperson for Black Lives Matter. So what how does that qualify you to take care of a city especially one as the size of Baltimore? You need to try to be the mayor of Orland Park first before you try to go be the mayor of a city like Baltimore, like something that big and that's in so much trouble and is in dire straits. I don't know that he can just step in and turn that around and be what Baltimore needs just because you've been to Ferguson. That doesn't make sense. And it's it's almost like an arrogance to me like that doesn't make sense just because you went to ferguson and you did a couple of speeches now you think you can run baltimore that's not well, how not things that. work I when mean, did we get know, here part, part of you know i guess he can put on his resume is that he was teaching the classes i want to say it was at harvard um yeah part so. of like the social justice programming um of you know when they have instructors come in and um yeah what do they call visiting visiting faculty come in and teach classes um and and people were actually up in arms about that. They were like, why in God's name is he here at Harvard? Right. Because people were like, normally someone who is in that visiting faculty role is usually either a Harvard graduate or alum right, right. or really comes right. with a pristine background um, yes. in regards to their accomplishments. And they were like, so I'm, people were kind of confused why Harvard extended the opportunity to him to teach. They felt that he wasn't qualified enough. But that was people being Harvard. So, mm-hmm. And it's interesting because somehow, you know, he's gotten a title like prominent civil rights activist. I'll be like, before Black Lives Matter, I didn't know who D. Ray McKenzie right. was. So to me, that doesn't no. make him prominent. I, 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 no. I would have known you before that. So one of his first, I guess you could say, tests to see how he's going to fare in this mayoral campaign is that he'll have his first appearance on Tuesday in a mayoral race in front of a room full of people to kind of put out questions. There'll be um, 24 candidates are in the running for this the Republicans and Independents, okay. along with obviously Democrats, and it's going to be a Q&A in like okay. a forum style. So I guess you can kind of say in a way it kind of has a town hall feeling to mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and it's interesting because he's young. I want to say McCaskin's only 30. So once again, I feel like this is the old woman to me coming out. You are not seasoned. You are not gristled no. to be running a city like Baltimore. Like what is the experience right. under your belt? I mean, you, you're just you're, you're hitting the best party stage in your life being 30. I don't know. I just but my concern is: will somebody fall in love with this? Will somebody pull become polarized behind him and put him into office? And I'm like, he's giving you nothing besides the fact that he is, you know, pro the rights of people of color, specifically black people. But what that doesn't qualify him to run Baltimore is in a bad place. Right. It is is in dire straits. It it's in dire straits. I I mean I don't know. I think this is just a thing where he's throwing his hat in the ring. There are a lot more candidates, like 24, did you say? There are a lot more people that are probably more qualified to run the city of Baltimore. He's just putting his hat in the ring. I would be nervous if it was, like, just two people. I'm like, I don't know. Like, 
with people fall in love and then like like the Donald Trump thing, like so many supporters just because he's D. Raven Casson and he's behind Black Lives Matter, would people fall in love with that versus his experience to run a city like Baltimore? But it seems like it's a lot of people that are running. So we'll we'll see. I don't think he'll be successful. Well, you know, okay, but he's actually has I think some good momentum because in two weeks he raised like a hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. That's not bad money to put together in two weeks. And I'll say this he's putting together his platform. He's released like his first three kind of stances. He's dealing with everything ranging from homelessness to poverty to work. So those are his three areas he's already addressed with his with his plan is to move forward. He's gonna roll out roughly about five more key areas that he feels need to be addressed in the city. I believe that he has the platform and the voice to really kind of enamor people because being he is an activist and he is well-spoken. That's why I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, he can roll out this 10-point plan, so to speak, but does he, one, have the influence and the connections to make any of those things happen? I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe I'm just being negative. Some people be like, just go with it. I don't know. I'm looking at when (laughs) you just go with it, bad stuff happens. Yeah. But we'll see. I'm I'm gonna keep my eye on this in Baltimore and I'd be curious. People in Baltimore, like, how do they feel about this? I mean, they yeah. need real leadership. They really do. Yes. But they've been needing real yes. leadership for a little bit of time. Even before yeah. what happened in Baltimore with Freddie Gray. Baltimore needed real leadership. They did. So I mean, it's a lot going on there. So we'll see. We'll see. It's just, you know, a French thing. We'll see how it's how we we'll see how he fares in this first open debate platform that's going to happen tomorrow. Like I said, he's eloquent. He's a good speaker. So I believe mm-hmm. in that kind of setting that he'll thrive and be fine. But it's like that, you think about Trump, he, he enamors people. He's like he's like the proud right. piper of, of people who are off in left field and feel marginalized. Even though I'm like, what are you feeling marginalized for? But Trump has managed right. to reach down to people that are poor. I was like, you, you, mm-hmm. you do know this man has money, and he's he's totally playing fiddler with you. Stop it. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah. Another fringe conversation out there that's interesting, and this really, this is a good thing. You like when technology works. There was mm-hmm. a mother that was able to help police find her kidnapped daughter because of the iPhone app Find Your Phone. This happened in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and her daughter's ex-husband, I'm sorry, ex-boyfriend rather, kidnapped her. And apparently she still had her phone, and the phone was still on. And so, you know, you can download, you can link your devices together to find my phone app. Yes. You can, like, have it on your laptop, your your tablet, your yes. phone, your watch. Everything can be linked together. Mm-hmm. So if one of the devices come up missing, you can just turn on your other device and actually find what where the missing device is as long as the, the battery hasn't died. That's the caveat to that. It still has to right. be active. And because her daughter had downloaded that on another one of her Apple products, Believe it or not, she was able to find him with the police. I think that's brilliant, and obviously awesome. the boyfriend wasn't thinking about that. Isn't it funny? Right, right. No, that's awesome. You know what? Kidnappers have got to be careful now because this technology of tracking phones and stuff. My son has a watch. It just looks like a regular watch, but I know exactly where he is, and he can track it. He can tell me his location, what time, like all of that. So kidnap, like with technology, is going to be a little more difficult, and cell phones and all these kind of devices that can help you, you know, find where your location is and you can be tracked. He didn't think about that, but that's something that you can do. His focus was obviously somewhere else. He wasn't even thinking about, you know, he probably took the phone from her like, now I have your phone, not even thinking about, wait, is there a find my phone app on here? And it's not, that's Apple's, but every phone has a similar device that you can use Mm -hmm. for tracking. And I've used it before and it's great. And And it tells you right down to where the phone is sitting, like it either, like it almost pings, your address. Yeah. So where it's yeah. sitting. 
Um, so it isn't like it gives yeah. you this vague. It, it pretty much will be like, it's at blah, 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 blah street in this town. you got to love right. that technology. They need to, like, just make yes. that where you can implant a chip in somebody. Just boop. That's where she is. I don't, I don't want to be That's there. coming. But I think that's I was coming. a child if I had one just because. Yeah, that's coming. <laughs> For my own sanity. Yeah. Yes, chip my child yes. so I can know where they're at because people are nuts. Or they you are. tell me you're going somewhere like, you know I got your chip on right, and you are not where you right. said you were. <laughs> <laughs> right. My teenager would be like, Mom, it's time to take the chip out. Oh, no, we're taking the chip no, out on no. your 18th birthday. How about that? Before that <laughs> <chip>. <laughs> Seriously, that I get it. Know. And you got the great, great technology, um, good story, and, hey, mm-hmm. it, it, it's worth having. And if you don't have it, it I, like I said, I used it to find my phone. Actually, there was a situation once where someone did that. You also got to be careful. The flip side was someone lost their phone. This happened in England, and he used a device, and he showed up to get his phone, and the people end up hurting him. Yeah, they did. I remember that. Remember I that remember story? that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so his phone mm-hmm. was stolen, and he did it, and was able to find it. I was like, wow, okay, right. you mad at me because I came from my phone? Really? Right. He should have took so, the police with him. Be mindful. If you don't have the app, it's it's a good app to have. I would always send the police. I wouldn't go get it myself. I would right. just like, I'm not following right. missing, and I don't know why it's at this address because I've never been there. That would be the first indicator. You probably yes. shouldn't go knock on somebody's door. Right. But, okay. I agree. Another story that's out there on the fringe, and this is interesting because I think people have to stop and think about when they decide they want to step out on a limb and kind of express how they feel about their employer – Every employer is not necessarily open-minded or really caring about your plight. So Yelp is actually an app that is doing really well in regards to Yelp. Mm-hmm. It tells you if you're looking everything for where to dine, it gives you reviews. And let me tell you something. Granted, this yeah. may not be a positive story about Yelp, but I've used Yelp before, and I have to say, sometimes if you check, especially for private businesses, go check out yes. Yelp if you're wondering if you should use the business. Because people put reviews on there, whether it's good or bad, like, hey, I tried this out, and it was awesome, or, hey, I tried this out, and it was bad, the service sucked, I didn't get what Mm -hmm. I expected. And then you can kind of make an informed decision if you want to move forward, especially if it's a service or a business that's not well-known. So Yelp is actually, I think, a great tool. It's a couple times I wish I had read in advance before I went and invested my dollars in something and got mad when the service was not what I expected. But this story is about a young lady who was 25. Her name is Talia Jane. She actually wrote an open letter to the CEO of Yelp, and the letter ended up going viral. So it's hmm. actually Yelp E24, which is probably, I think, more of the restaurant side of it. So the CEO is Jeremy Stoppelman, and she wrote him this open letter to tell him her story, which included things like, I cry in the bathtub every week because of hunger pains, I'm taking $6 handouts from a CDS employee that overheard her, her conversation about knowing that she, you know, she wasn't making enough at, her, at her, her job. Well, Mr. Stoppelman got the letter, and Talia, Talia got fired. Wow. <laughs> I was wow. like, okay, Stoppelman you didn't see that coming. not playing. I was like, not only because she was saying she was underpaid and talked about her plight, then he took to Twitter – because the, the the letter went viral, and that that might have been why he got angry with her, opposed to just giving the letter to him. She shared right. it with all kinds of she? people. So it was an open uh, letter. It was an open letter. So it wasn't uh, like gotcha, just to gotcha. him with her okay. concerns, but she went viral. Okay. And because of that, he probably felt like you could have approached us as a company 
about your right. issues. Instead, you put this out there for everyone to read without allowing Correct. us to have any kind of real explanation. She, it could have still gone viral whether she got fired or not. So he went to Twitter right. and to acknowledge her points that she lives in San Francisco. So he talked about the cost of living there is mm-hmm. far too high and that he has been focused on this issue, speaking out frequently about the need to lower the cost of housing. Okay, Mr. Stoppelman. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that probably means that you need to raise what you pay people because right. you really expect for the cost of living to go. California is sky high in the cost of living, seriously. Yes. So if that yes. was his answer, the cost of living needs to drop, not that we need to raise our wages, I don't think that makes a lot of sense. And you firing her, you just made her go from almost being homeless to probably being homeless. So where is the – people right. are like, where is his emotional intelligence of an employee reached out to you to really express a concern and instead – you fire her. So he's under serious scrutiny for his actions. Mm. I mean, unfortunately, he can do whatever he wants. This really didn't work out. But it's kind of like when you do that, you it is kind of like bashing Yelp in a way, even though she had a serious issue, but it kind of like shines a light on them. Like they don't, I guess they don't pay certain people in certain, my sister works for Yelp and she's fine. But I guess you have to do different things. I don't know what this young lady was actually doing there, but you can't put the company on blast like that and expect to keep your job. That should have been privately handled and give the letter directly to him and then handle it that way. But you don't go to social media and then expect to keep your job. And, and let me just say, and I feel for her cause, and this is why the whole fight for 15 yeah. with people who are you know, minimum wage or you know, trying to get higher wages, and I do believe that minimum wage does need to be raised. I don't know if 15 is the answer because I've gotten to the point where I start tracking. When I go to places that are service-oriented, especially fast food, I count the amount of times my order is right. And, Nikki, my order is mm-hmm. more wrong than it is right. So I'm like, you want to fight for yeah. 15? How about you get my order right? But that's me begrudging because right. I get mad, seriously, because I specifically said no ice. And they hand me the cup, and I just look at them every single time. Like, okay, wow. whatever. Yeah. But that's another story. I do believe that minimum wage does need to be raised. Come on, nobody can really raise a family on minimum wage. But this also gets into the conversation about sometimes you may have to have more than one job because the job that you have, right. I mean, she's 25. So right. if Yelp is not meeting your needs, you might either need to go to school, get additional training to get a different job, or you might need to mm-hmm. have a secondary job to be able to survive. People having two and three jobs is not uncommon in our society, not to say that long gone are the days where you can really just have a job where that one job pays for everything you need, unless you have a job that makes that kind of money, one of those higher-tier jobs that, you know, you get special training for. But you have to be mindful of that. If you're in any kind of service or customer service job like that, chances of you getting paid really good money are slim to none. And I'm not quite sure if she's put that in perspective. Right. I agree. And as for, I agree, you know, you made an open letter. You should have approached Mm -hmm. them individually and expressed, even though you still might have lost your job, but I feel like he felt like she put them on blast. Like, you put us on front street. Seriously. She kind of did. She kind of did. Even though I would love to have a conversation with Jeremy Stoppelman, I was like, who did you consult with before you fired Talia? Seriously. (laughs) Nobody. He's like, I'm the CEO. You got to go. I mean, she's yeah. talking about her plight, and then you said, and on top of that, um, and, and on top of that, yeah, now you don't have a job. So, but I go. get it. I mean, as a company, no one wants their their dirty laundry to be aired like that. And Correct. I don't know why she thought making that an open letter. Uh, did she not know that there was going to be repercussions for that? I don't understand how she wouldn't know that. It seems really insensitive, but yeah, yeah, not I, a good look. I so, agree. No. Uh, 
that backfired. That didn't work well. Oh, well, let this be a lesson. Let this be a lesson. You can't blast your company and expect to keep your job. So just know. <laughs> no, not at all. Fired. And I will say this. Mr. Stoppelman, stop saying that the cost of living needs to drop because it's not. You do need to give fair wages. Seriously. Right. You can't change housing, but you can you can truly change if you're paying your employees at least a decent wage. It doesn't mean that they have to live sure. on that. But give them a decent sure. wage. Be fair. Just do that. Yeah. The cost of living is not changing, changing in California. It's ridiculous. And sometimes maybe you need to evaluate. Maybe I don't need to live here. Because I'm serious. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just the reality. you got to put all your ducks in a row and look at what's going on. Because California is no joke. It is not for the faint of heart. It is it's nothing expensive. to sneeze at. It yes, it is. The closet in California probably costs $1,500 just to stand in it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it, no, it's seriously. Crazy. It's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. It's super crazy. So you sometimes... You know, you might need to evaluate where you're living and if it makes sense. I mean, I know it's not fair. It's not. But the, the hustle is real, folks. The hustle is real. Yep. But 25, you just got your first real-life lesson about employers yep. and about your future yes. life. Maybe you need to reevaluate where you're at and where you want to go. I feel sorry for her, and hopefully she'll land on her feet. I hope she lands on her she feet. She will. She'll be fine. She's 25. She'll be fine. That, that you got plenty of time to write that shit, Talia. Plenty, plenty of time. Yep. All right. That's the fringe. Some headlines and hot topics are trending in different places, not your timeline. We figured we'd just go ahead and share it. We're going to go ahead to our move to our next segment, Say What? Okay. Okay. What? This is exactly why when people ask me how I feel about Black Lives Matter and why I tell people I stand on the fence, because when you do things like this, it's hard for me to support your cause because I feel like you just walked out into traffic. That's all I'm going to say about that. We're going to take a quick break. Okay. And we'll come back and talk about say what? They did what? That's what that segment is all about, everybody. Sit tight. We'll be right back. Oh, oh, oh. 
We're on until 2 p.m. We're moving to say what those stories that make you say that can't possibly be true. Could someone really be mm-hmm. that stupid or that unaware or that uninformed about why would you possibly do that? And these next couple stories are exactly that. People making what I feel okay. like cannot be intelligent decisions. So, and before I say this, if you want to weigh in, 310-807-5211. Chat room is wide open. And you can get social with the show. I'm on Facebook and Twitter at The Maya Kai Show. Nikki, how can they connect with you, our listeners? Nikki Braden on Facebook and Twitter and The Nikki Braden on Instagram. Okay. So, you know, occasionally, Nikki, people will say, so, hey, you know, um, do you support Black Lives Matter? And I said, you know, it probably depends on what city it is because it's so inconsistent in their overall rhetoric and their actions, it's hard for me just to align behind them. And it's stuff like this. That really makes me raise my eyebrow because I'm like, how does this, how does this add any kind of real positive momentum to what you're trying to accomplish? So this story is coming out of <laughs> Nashville. It was on Fox News okay. Insiders, and it's under outrageous, and it is outrageous. Black Lives Matter cries white supremacy after holding a color-only meeting at the library. <laughs> so, oh, my God. This is what this post said on Facebook. This is Black Lives Matter Nashville. This, back to Nikki, I don't think anybody is, is driving the bus. It's all, it's, it's Nobody's all driving it. No one's, no one's yes. giving us any direction. It says, due to white supremacy in our local government, this week's Black Lives Matter general body meeting location has changed. And they give a new location and it's going to be at 10 a.m. It then says, Black Lives Matter general general body meetings are open to black and non-black people of color only. Okay. They can't do that. You can't (laughs) do that in a... You can, but it's going to come with a repercussion. You can't do it in Not at the library, you can't. You can do it at your house, but you can't do it at the library. That's what's wrong with people. Well, no, it moves... No, it, it was it was going to be. Uh, it's just it, it was going to be at the library, but they changed it instead to a church. So it was initially okay. supposed to be at the library. It got moved to a church. 
Yeah, because they can't do that in the library. You can't just be like only black people can come in. You can't do you can't do that. You have to do that on a private. You can do whatever you want privately, but you can't do that somewhere like the library. You know, say white supremacy. If it was anything other than that, well, and, the, and the library told black so people they could somebody wanted to be at the meeting and at the so meeting. they were right. treated unjustly. And the library is like, look, we can't have that here. Right. Um, exactly. The person who made the complaint was somebody white. Um, assuming we don't know for sure because it was like anonymous the complaint to the library and then at that point they're like you can't do that you can't have your meetings closed to somebody because of the color of their skin and then that's where right. it got moved to a church which obviously that's in private and you can do what you want so right and, and it's interesting so one of the black lives member goes on record saying i definitely think it's a result of white supremacy <sighs> This is why people get so angry at us and say we whine and cry over everything all the time because stupid stuff like this. These are the people I want kicked out of the group. You can't yell white supremacy when you are trying to keep somebody out of a meeting because of the color of their skin. That's just stupid. This is stupid. It's not white supremacy. It's what this country is allegedly built on. This is what segregation is. You can't. This is reverse segregation. You can't do that. Okay, I don't. You can't do that. I guess where I lose sight of this is. This is not this behavior to me. Doesn't this kind of behavior work against what you're ultimately trying to achieve? Yes. You want yes. to be respected. You want to say lives matter, black lives matter, and I get that. But in turn, attempting to marginalize somebody to achieve your task, first of all, if you don't have the power base to, to marginalize nobody, so you need to stop that. Correct. But how Correct. does two wrongs don't make a right? And I understand the library can't have that. I get that. Right. But like, um, right. Just like if, if it was a flip, if somebody was having a white meeting, they'd be like, I'm sorry, we can't do this. You cannot. Now, to me, you could scream white, you know, white supremacy if that was going on and it was allowed to happen after a complaint. Then I think you have a fair perspective. But, I mean, ridiculous. I'm just – This is, this this is, is ridiculous. I'm like that. Because to me, there is nobody that puts any kind of policy or consistency in place. Every city kind of acts like its own little kind of individual, you know, chapter – and does what they want to do, says what they want to do. And this is why when you get backlash, this is then the whole organization looks bad. Even let's mm-hmm. say people in New York aren't behaving like this, or people like you know in Dallas aren't behaving like this, because you all share the umbrella of Black Lives Matter, you then all have to be demonized the same way, because they need consistent rhetoric. They got like, to wheel this in. Yeah, it's no agenda in place. It's no lines and got an outline uh, rules and everything outlined laid out for each chapter of black Lives matter so like look this is our policy this is what we do we don't discriminate that's counterproductive for our cause but but there's nothing written so you're right everybody's just going rogue in their own chapter and trying to do things that are so off the cuff that isn't supporting your cause in the first place this is just ridiculous i mean and they really and this was a statement that they released <laughs> like i can't I can't do it. After several months of meeting at the North Branch Library on Wednesday, which would have been 219, February 19, the Nashville chapter of Black Lives Matter was contacted through email and by phone that library administrators received complaints regarding the Black Lives, Black Lives Matter policy of general meetings being open to black and non-black people of color only. Although meeting rooms are available to local organizations for use of cultural nature, we were informed that due to the library's policy of open meetings, for meeting use only. Okay, so that's what we get into. Okay, but, uh, okay, what the library was telling you is you can't, it's like having a sign that says coloreds only. You can't right. do that, folks. We stopped doing that Correct. years ago. Correct. 
So what? Somebody walked Correct. in that wasn't black or wasn't, you know, a they were a non-black but still a person of color. And he said, I'm sorry, you have to leave? Is that what you said? Well, why? Because you're not black. Of course that was going to cause yeah. a but why did you think differently? I don't know. I just I can't get down with it. I can't. This is I why can't I either. Can't I can't really either. Support them because of stuff like this. I'm like, this does not help the cause. This does not move anybody closer to justice at all. All you do to me is no. you're creating a line that deepens right. the problem even more. It doesn't create and any it's unnecessary. And it's unnecessary, and if whoever's running this in Nashville, they knew you need every person that you can get to support your cause. And especially when people don't look like you, back your cause, it gives you more validity because people think you're just whining and crying in the first place. So you need to give everybody who wants to come and support, why just why won't you let them do that? This makes no sense. You know, it I makes no sense. One of the Black Lives Matter members said, you know, um, the group welcomes people of all races to the movement. They just can't come to the meetings. Well, isn't that part of the well, movement? The meeting, right? Part of the meeting, not part of the movement. Isn't that how we plan it? With how we gonna okay. move, right? Okay, boo, boo, Nashville, boo, Nashville. You guys boo are Nashville. thinking, Seriously. boo, Nashville. <laughs> you know, and then they go on to say, in our space, we really don't have the time to deconstruct the ways in which white people can help our movement. It really is a time dedicated to healing and community building among black people and people of color. Well, if they're there, who said they wanted you to deconstruct ways that they can help? Right. They're probably saying, how can we help be part of the movement? That's it. They didn't, right. They're not asking for special treatment if they show up. So now you're intentionally alienating people and make the situation worse than what it is. And you look ridiculous yes. saying that. Yes. You can come talk part of the movement. You can't come to the meeting. What? <laughs> you're planning something. I'm not supposed to know what you're playing. I'm just supposed to show up. No. No one with good sense does that. That's your way of saying you just don't want them there. Let's be honest. Right, exactly. Right. So just exactly. see, and when, now, when people talk about this organization being racist, this is exactly what they're going to point yep. to right here. Yep. You just threw fuel on the fire that makes you look worse than you already look. Somebody exactly. needs to rein this all in. They need to figure out and stop letting these individual cities do what they want to do because it looks bad. And this is why I can't get with mm-hmm. it. I was like, no, because somebody somewhere is going to do something that doesn't fall in line with what I think is appropriate. I get what right. they're trying to do. It's just the way they're doing it isn't right. So... Yeah, I was like, say what? Did you just oh, put a stuff that said colors only? That's what you should have done. Cl- that's classic say what. God, that's classic say what. Wow. Like, what? I just, yeah, just absolutely couldn't understand why. You know, Yeah, you got this wrong, story, Nashville. Yeah, Nashville. Mm-mm. I'm not even going to get a more KFC Nashville spicy chicken no more. It was pretty good, too. <laughs> I'm about to cut off everything Nashville now. Everybody in Nashville, there's nothing wrong with everybody there. Some people are perfectly fine. But it's just that looks bad for Black Lives Matter, seriously. Yes, it does. They just, the scrutiny, this is why you're, and it's all over Fox, who loves to just deconstruct them. Here comes some white people yep. to deconstruct you, FYI. And the difference is yep. these people want to deconstruct you. So yes. you've just now given them all the conversation they need of why people shouldn't support you and why you are a racist hate group. Right there. You just yep. gave it to them. You just gave it yep. to them. Okay. Doesn't make uh. sense. This next story, this is exactly why Donald Trump gets momentum. I'm serious. Because stories like this is what he builds his platform on. There's a new bill that could possibly get illegal aliens. That's not my word. That's what it says in the New York Post title. Because I know the new new politically correct terminology says we should not say illegal aliens. We're not supposed to say that. Yeah, that's what they say, whatever. Do they have a replacement word? (laughs) Well, I I don't care. I'm just reading what the New York Post put in their title. So they said it. I didn't. Um, I don't know. Immigrants, um, I, they don't like the word aliens. 
You know what? Whatever. <laughs> it's just immigrant, I mean, immigrants want to be in there. Um, I don't know. Whatever. But there's this new bill that is looking to potentially give voting rights in New York City to people who are not supposed illegal to be aliens. there. There's stop. No, well, that's what they are. You come so, up with a replacement word. Well, I'm not, actually, I got other things to think about besides that. So into that one. Right. So uh. there's this new legislation that's being pushed that would actually give voting rights almost as early as 2017 in New York City to have access to elect mayors, the comptroller, public advocates, and presidents and city councilmen within their boroughs. So we say wards here, they say boroughs in New York. And this is interesting. I was like, you're not a citizen. How is that possible? Right. Right to vote is unique to citizens. That's part of the whole that's why people get up in arms and people That's don't vote. Like, you know, there's, yes. there's a reason you're supposed to vote. So this proposal, and I guess it's been winning support in a lot of the, like, black and Latino areas. A lot of the activists are really picking up on this. Um, their, their legislative caucuses are pushing for this. They're having events that's coming up in Albany, New York, to really push to kind of have this legislation passed. And part of what it says is they want to expand the rights for everybody not to press the vote. They want everybody to have rights, even though – Immigration rights are different than, obviously, citizen rights. They feel that people deserve the right because there are more than 1.3 million non-citizens within the city of New York. And they wow. said 500,000 of them, roughly, are undocumented. So that 1.3 million, you've got people maybe who have got visas or, you know, within their green card, sure. only 500,000 of them are illegal. They're saying, so they're saying, but they said they feel that if you are a, a, green, a green card holder, here's a caveat, folks, then technically you're not an illegal alien because you're sanctioned to be here, so you should be allowed to vote. That's the crux of this argument. I'm like, people have lost their mind. Okay, yes. so if you want to vote, turn in your green card and become a citizen. And then vote. Citizen, right. I mean, right. I don't get to run over to other countries and just start voting on stuff. Vote? Really? Yeah. Yeah. I can't go, yeah, I can't go to France and, 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 and vote. No, really. See, I, no, I this is it. where Donald Trump this is where he finds people, because this kind of, you know mm-hmm. what I just said. I don't appreciate the fact it's a, it's a, it's a birthright to be able to vote, right. to be a citizen of yeah. this country. And I'm okay. Anybody yeah. can be a citizen. I have no issue with that. But become a citizen, and then if you really want to vote, you can and vote. And then but vote. Why we get the power right. of people who have no real, who are totally, let's just say, governed differently on U.S. soil than you and I are? Right. Totally different sets Absolutely of rules. Absolutely they are. For us. So why should you get the same rights that I get? But yet you can do things and have access to things that I don't even have as a citizen, and so on and so forth. That's a that's you a shouldn't. right a birth that's a birthright here. I don't get it. Yes. I'm, what's wrong with folks? I don't know, but this is exactly the conversation that Donald Trump will give, and it will spark anger in people because even though I'm not a Trump supporter, I don't think you should be able to vote all willy nilly, and you're not a citizen. You should. You just don't get the right to do that, and so. On on this particular subject, agree with him. If he was like, like, this is wrong, and I would agree, and probably most people who are American citizens would agree. Like, you don't just get to vote with a green card. That's not how this works. And you why are we changing it? Like, no one takes seriously what it means to right. be an American citizen. And right. I understand when it comes to rights, a lot of people have fought tooth and nail for certain things. Yeah. And there are times when people just want to dole things out to people that aren't citizens. You kind of feel like, so we worked really hard to kind of get this to pass, and now everybody gets to have access to it? Right. No. Right. Look, no, if I you want to vote, if it means that much to you, then just become, become a, a citizen. citizen. 
and then yes. it's your right to vote. We, we, we're haggling over the fact if inmates can vote. Well, heck. Yeah. Well, if you're going to let them vote, then everybody incarcerated or not. You might as well just you. open, this is, you might as well open a floodgate and let everybody yeah, vote. Babies, then, toddlers, let everybody, they, they everybody. the law, so give them back their voting rights. Just because they're incarcerated doesn't mean they shouldn't be able to vote. I mean, I don't know. I just, and this is what I know. This is one of those, this stokes the fire for Trump right here. Americans mm-hmm. feel like everything in this country is now focused on other people, but yet as citizens, we're watching the very infrastructure of our country fall apart. But yet we got to have yeah. conversations about people who aren't even citizens. And that's right. why people are angry, and that's why Trump has momentum. Because yes. his rhetoric this falls in exactly line with right. marginalized Americans yes. who don't have nothing. Right. I Piper of right. insanity in these kind of stories. He gives him exactly what he's looking for. Say what? Makes you say what? Makes you say what? All right. <laughs> That's some of those stories out there that make you scratch your head like what's really on people's minds. Keep your eye peeled on that because if they're able to pull that off, to me, Nikki, that opens up a large yeah. conversation around the country. It really, yeah. really does. All right. We're going to wind down the show. We're going to wind down kind of on a on a high note. A person being a lottery yeah. winner and sharing with a homeless person. And oh, that's nice. If you want some cuddle time and you love babies, adoption agencies might have something for you to do. It was a really interesting story. Sit tight. We're going to take a break and move to our final segment of the show. It's the Maya Kai Show. I'm like 16. We did Nikki Bladen. We'll be right back. Bye. 
guys, welcome back. Home stretch of the show. That means last call for comments. Three one zero eight zero seven five two one one. Of course, the chat room is open as well. You can plug your comments in there if you have something you'd like to say. We're gonna wind down the show. You know, I figured everything was like on ten earlier, so at least yeah. wind everything down. Let your Monday end on a high note. So this this story I found really good to hear because you don't hear enough random acts of kindness with mm-hmm. people. So there's a story that kind of caught a lot of momentum and went viral when this young lady had spent her $200 prize money on a motel stay, and then she set up a fundraising page for a man that's homeless. And it happened on one of the coldest days in New Bedford, Massachusetts, and she had been seeing this man panhandling for a while. Mm-hmm. And she had won money on a scratch-off ticket. Um, so it wasn't like he was a stra- he was a stranger, but she was someone he was, she'd seen him numerous times in this route okay. to travel. And at that moment, she said, you know, I could probably go spend this on something frivolous. Her name was Sophia yeah. Andrada. She goes, I could spend this on something frivolous, or I could give it to somebody who really needs it. So he was holding a homeless sign. His hands shook, and he was crying, and it was negative degrees Aww. outside. And he was Aww. wiping his face, and she saw it a couple times. And instead of her taking that money, she gave that scratch-off ticket, the money from it, to him. And then went on to start a GoFundMe page and has already raised $4,500 to help him out. You know, when I see the picture of this guy, Nikki, he doesn't look like a person who's trying to swindle you. He really doesn't. No, be honest, yeah. I mean, because we know there's a big racket about people panhandling. We, we heard about that. Right. But when you see right. him, he honestly looks like he's probably homeless. Yeah. And I just think yeah. she could have taken that money and just maybe given him 20 bucks. But she paid for she him to could, be able yeah, to stay exactly. in a warm place for more than a day and then decided she wanted to help him turn his life around. And I think we don't hear enough about that. We really don't. No. No, that was very, very nice. Her karma is going to be so good. but she's probably, And when you do things like this, you do it. I know she did it from the kindness of her heart, not looking for anything in return. And we just don't, as a society overall, we just don't care about each other like that. Like you said, somebody probably would have gave them 20 bucks or 50 bucks and then went and spent the rest on it. But, like, to just be that selfless, to give your entire winnings to somebody that you don't even know, I mean, it's just the one we don't hear a lot about that because we really don't care about each other like that we, <laughs> anymore. We don't. We've gotten away from that. God had placed his name as Glenn in her past for a reason. And she said just at that point, it was cold. She goes, he was shaking. He was, like, underdressed. And she's like, mm. I got to do this. And I, th- I think that's, we, you know, it's interesting because I've had a situation where I got to know somebody who at this stage in her life uh, is doing well in school, has a job, roof over her head. But when she shared her story about being homeless and becoming an addict, Everybody starts someplace. Everybody doesn't start in a vantage, you know, in a position of disadvantage. And I think sometimes right. we homeless people become faceless to us because it seems yeah. like they're a burden on society. They're always begging you for something. And I think sometimes right. you have to kind of just step back and look at that person if you can find that center in you and say, maybe they really do just need help. And yeah. she went on, she gave him a place to stay, but then she started a GoFundMe page. And her goal, ultimately, is to try to help him get back on track. And I think that's fantastic. One person, that if she changes that one life, to me that right. speaks volumes. Imagine if we all yes. did that. Took one person, yes. one person, yes. and tried to impact yes. their life, how different that. that could honestly yes. be. The world would be. The world would be different if one person just helped one person. If everybody just helped one person, the world would be different. It would yes. absolutely be different. It would definitely very be very nice. I thought that was a, a very powerful, you know, story. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, I just wanted to share it because it's been out there, and we hear so much about the negative and mm-hmm. not enough about the positive. And I thought, you know what? I agree. One person at a time, imagine how we could really begin to change the world and do something mm-hmm. different. One person. Yep. You don't have to change right. the world. like. And I think sometimes we have that attitude, like we have to help everybody all the time, and I don't think yeah. that's needed. Yeah, So good story. So next time you see, just a thought, next time you see someone who's homeless, and I think I know I can be guilty of it, like get away from my car. I know I've said that. I know I felt that. Like no, you do all the time. I no, always I give I homeless people money. Homeless people sometimes, and other yeah. times I've I actually always give given. Them money. I've actually given. I give it to them. Sometimes for some people, if you are under the age of probably fifty-five and you come to my window, I'm probably not gonna help you out because I'm like, why are I you standing out there? Out. But I get I get irritated with people. But at the same time, I've also helped people. I do a lot of donations, like in regards to clothing and food pantries. I do backpacks for kids at schools. I give all the time. But there's something yeah, sometimes about homeless people. I think that 2020 special jaded me about how some people panhandling literally are making like a ton of money and are leaving and getting in nice cars. And I think ever since then, it just rubbed me the wrong way, and I, I distrust that they're really, truly homeless. Even though that man, if he's playing a role, he's playing a good role. But he's not because she yeah. got to know him and put him away, and she knows he's a – but it, it was that that – after that, I saw that that's what really turned me off. It really did. So another story, but before we jump to that, I see that we have a caller. Let's see if they want to make a comment. Oh. Look at that. Hi, welcome to the Maya Kai Show caller. Would you like to make any comments on our story or anything we've talked about during the show? Uh, hi, Maya. Uh, how you all doing today? I'm a little late as far as the topic is concerned, but I noticed that you were addressing the the benefits that are given to non-citizens in the country and uh, how this factors into the political race and other things. I was just wondering if you guys might one day just uh, donate a a certain segment of the show to it, because it's not just the benefits of voting. It's also uh, driver's licenses without proper identification. It's all types of college benefits. It's it's a multitude Mm -hmm. of things, and I think it's attributed back – to the election process to bring in new voters to try to shift elections, but at the same point in time, their presence in America has an extreme effect upon the workforce in America, and with so many people unemployed of all races and and denominations and demographics, these elements of the future of America as far as its manufacturing job workforce becomes affected by the acceptance of more and more uh, people uh, in America without going through the, the necessary process and being mm-hmm. kind of pushed through the citizenship. Like, you know, we're going to change the rules of the basketball game because, you know, somebody scored too many points. Um, right. So, I, you know, that was just a suggestion of mine as far as that's concerned. And I noticed that, um, you know, there are certain candidates in the election that by doing what they would do, which some people seem to say, think is extreme, are actually protecting the American workforce and would then open up jobs that have been unavailable or removed from the actual status quo of lower socioeconomic people in different areas of the country. So I was just wondering if that's something you guys might touch on because you do I mean, such a could, wonderful job with I mean, different topics. The unfavorable candidate I believe you are mentioning is Donald Trump. <laughs> And yeah. he has stood oh, on um, immigration quite hard and has some things that kind of make people a little uncomfortable. Besides just the job, it's his rhetoric like putting up a wall collar that really makes people feel like that's not an American sentiment to have. But when you talk about the workforce, to me, that's a dynamic you focus on. 
But when you right. talk about well, a wall because and you say things like they're criminals, that kind of makes people feel like you're well, being racist well, in what you, you're saying. I'll tell I'll tell you as an employment contractor that screens thousands of people every year. When I bring somebody in and they're not documented, there is no way for me to check their background. I don't know what the criminal background is like. I don't know what their work history is like. I mm-hmm. know that you can change your name and identity overnight, and that would never be tolerated one moment in America for American citizens. I right. know that if I don't carry my driver's license, they're going to have a problem with me, no matter whether they can run my driver's license number, see my picture, or whatever it might be. And to have sanctuary cities where people can just come to and exist without any proof of who they are, where they come from, or their background. In America, it's easier. I mean, if you get bad credit, it can affect your employment. But yet to accept people that we don't know anything about, it's not so much the incidence of the wall itself. But look at what is happening. It's become an actual element of profit to Mexico for the immigration of Americans and then the Western Union out of capital and and, and the violation by companies, the companies really aren't following the law even today in which if they do employ an illegal alien, there's a huge fine involved with it. But if you look at it systematically in a combination with NAFTA from years ago, there has been an excess of jobs that has changed the actual societal element for, for elements just like black people. Now, if this is the case and they, these jobs did become available and placed with citizens, legal citizens, whose ancestors died and helped build this country, then that job market that opens up would be nothing but beneficial. You know, they say charity begins at home. That's the old country saying. We can't mm-hmm. help the world and let people die in the streets here, let people go without health care here, let people go without food programs here. And a lot of times you have to get aggressive in order to get people's attention. And then if the stereotypical elements of the media start to demonize somebody, you have to really start wondering why they're demonizing somebody that would open up jobs and elements for black people, also address the issues of the veterans, also address the issues. Because, see, I'm a businessman myself, and I know what a P&L is, and I know how I make a profit. But I also know that if a businessman has conscience, he's not going to dismiss his good employees. He's going to think about his employees. Yeah, we've left the time of which there was a pension and a gold watch. Yes, those are gone. But yet we can start to move in the direction of bringing some care from labor and management back to this country. There's no reason why we should not tax goods coming in when they tax our goods going out. On an equal Mm -hmm. playing field, the American worker can defeat anyone. But to get an equal playing field, we're not going to get that from politicians that are scripted by the donations from big business pharmaceuticals, hospitals, and everything else out here in order for them to then be bound, their hands are bound by the money they're receiving to actually achieve it, like with Jeb Bush, to spend the astronomical amount of money spent to try to become the president. What, what is the quid pro quo from any of this money if necessary? Now, I'm not identifying a specific candidate, but I am saying that that is a topic a suggestion of a topic that you okay, guys might want to take on. You do, you do great. You do great with it. You do, you, I mean, you, you have an awesome show. And Thank you. Appreciate thing, it, Colin. Thank you. The, the, thing that, the thing that is so powerful with your show is that you're open with your commentary. It's not scripted. It's not bound. 
You're not saying I have to stay between these. I have to. I don't have to have both feet in bounds. Otherwise, the case right. is no good. So right. therefore, if you analyze it in this way, and let's start looking for what's best for us, not what the media tells us what's best for us, because we've been listening to the media. We've lost thousands of jobs. Our cities have been in decay. Our veterans are without health care, and yet we're going to still propagate the very people who started this program back in the 1990s with their NAFTA, and those are the people that are running right today as opponents to this. Okay. Thus, we, we don't to... like to be pre... – it's not supposed to be about prejudice by the way you look. Now, we I, I, we I agree with you. everything you've said is absolutely on point. Yes. But my yes. issue with Donald Trump, it's the rest of his rhetoric that doesn't work for me. I'm sorry. I have a hard time with the idea of someone who I know is rooted deep rooted deep in the Klan. You know, he's a businessman. He's given us no outside of what you just talked about. Trump has never really laid out any form of policy of anything he would do besides talking about immigration and some work issues. We don't know what his what his foreign policy is. We don't know enough no. about what his plan would be because he's failed to roll it out. And that's the problem. If we, among if other we things. could, if we, well, just quickly put, because I know it's getting in the show, and I apologize for that. If we take an Arkansas governor who had very limited foreign policy, if we take a community organizer from Roseland, okay, who was one of the elements of putting Roseland together, take a ride through Roseland and see what it looks like now, and we put them in the top spot, they surround themselves with advisors. As a business person, you understand what I mean by P&L is we know what's going to work to make it profitable and not. If your legacy, a person who is an egotist, is responsible and responsive to his legacy, there is nobody with a bigger ego than Donald Trump. And if you think that he would <sighs> ever take on yeah, something that he would actually feel that he would fail in drastically, that's not the point. The point is you have to put people's feet to the fire. As far as what they're going to do, I'm a black businessman up against multitude of white business and major corporations. As they see me and as I come to meet and, and talk to them, they cannot ask me specifically, well, what are you going to do different than what's being done? Because they're paying them. So they figure they're getting it done best. But there has to be an alternative to a country that's in free fall failure. I, would, and that's look, not I don't disagree with that. I, I, I don't, I, okay. Out of fairness, you're right. A segment is warranted. <laughs> yes. We could really chop a lot of this up. And I think the, the focus is America really isn't for Americans, and why is that? That's really what this all comes down to. It's, it's not well, about think, focus more on other agendas. And I do agree there's some fairness to it. I don't know that certain people running on either side are good for America one way or the other, but out of fairness, you put all the right conversation on the table, and because now we're out of showtime, I am willing to dedicate more time to talk about it, especially since – election is in front of us. I think it's good conversation. Yes, yes. Well, thank you. I, I, I do appreciate that. And the, and the one thing just to remember is, is that when you talk about Americans, part of the reason why we're scripted and crafted and, and held to one party is because of the power of our expenditures and our dollars. So we're, we're, we, can, we can, if you do have the segment, I would, I would ask for an opportunity to call in and at least address it. Um, Yes, and I appreciate I appreciate your time at the end of the show, and I think all right. Thank you for calling. Thank you, Carl. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, just like that, see, we just end on a high note all the time. All right, that's (laughs) it. We're out of time. Good conversation. It's worthy. It's worthy of a show conversation. I think people need to think about sort through what's out there. Out of fairness, 
caller made some good points. With that being said, though, yes. this is it for this edition of the Maya Kai Show Unplugged featuring comedian Nikki Brayton. We're on every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from noon to 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you miss any of our shows, you can always go to my homepage here on Blog Talk, as well as go to the iTunes Store podcast section and search Maya Kai Presents. Our shows are there. And, of course, my website, mayakai.com, has everything related to the show. If you want to get social with us when we're not on air, Nikki, where can our listeners find you? I am Nikki Braden on Facebook and Twitter and the Nikki Braden on Instagram. Have a happy Monday, everybody. And thank you to everybody that came out to our epic party on Saturday. It was absolutely <laughs> awesome. We had a great time. Oh, thank you for helping us celebrate. And if you get a chance to do something nice today. All right, everybody. Enjoy your Monday and the start of your week. We'll see you on Wednesday. Follow Maya on Twitter at The Maya Akai Show, on Instagram at Maya Akai, and friend her on Facebook. Social media is bringing us all closer together. The Maya Akai Show. Radio never looks so good. Eh, I'm going to retweet this.